Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. This is the Tom Hartman Program. So every day that goes by without the world being vaccinated, and yes, we have our own problems here in the United States, the Biden administration announced Arkansas used none of their allocation last month. Right? You've got so many people down there who are buying the Fox News pitch. You know, you've got Tucker Carlson now trying to claim that Joe Biden doesn't even believe in vaccines. The reason why they're doing this, of course, is if they can keep the virus making people sick, then that's going to keep the economy sluggish and that's going to give the Republicans something to complain about in the 2002 and 2004 election. This is their clear election strategy is to prevent us from hitting herd immunity in the United States. But that's here. And for every person that Tucker convinces and Fox News convinces not to get vaccinated, when they get sick, they're a possible, you know, uh, laboratory, a Petri dish for, you know, new genetic variants of these of this disease. But it's even more true of the other six and a half billion people on the planet. And so what do we do about that? How do we vaccinate the world? Let's ask Lori Wallach, the executive director of Public Citizens Global Trade Watch, tradewatch.org or citizen.org slash trade. Her uh, Twitter handle is Wallach, W-A-L-L-A-C-H, Lori, L-O-R-I. And Lori, welcome back. It's been a while since we talked. Let's boil this down to plain English. People talk about tips and and IPs, and, and I think it's just going right over the head of most Americans. Boil this down for us. What's going on? There is not enough vaccine being produced to provide the 10 to 15 billion shots needed to get herd immunity for the world, which is the only way, Tom, to end the pandemic and avoid there being a place where there is an outbreak that brews the vaccine resistance, more lethal, more transmissible virus that will put us all back into global lockdown. And the reason there isn't is pharma greed. A handful of companies have originated these vaccines after getting billions in government funding from countries around the world. And they, under a variety of rules, including those of the World Trade Organization, have the power to have monopoly control over how much is produced. 
and they are unwilling to share the recipes to make enough get produced to get the vaccines we need. So maybe this year, six billion doses will be produced. We need 10 to 15 billion. And the reason there isn't more, these pharmaceutical companies have monopoly powers to control production. That's the whole story. So I'm looking at the Financial Times and the top story, literally the top story at the very top of the page, Pfizer's COVID vaccine revenues hit three and a half billion dollars in the first quarter, raising full year revenue projections from the jab, from the vaccine, from 15 to 26 billion dollars after reporting a three and a half billion dollar contribution to profits in the first quarter. They're sharing this, of course, with the German company BioNTech that actually developed it. And they're talking about $72 billion here. First quarter earnings were up $14.6 billion just for Pfizer. And then the story that's a little farther down the page is Fauci warns against discarding trade rules on COVID vaccines. He says forcing drug companies to abandon intellectual property rights to COVID-19 vaccines risks backfiring if it leads to long legal disputes. You know, I get the logic of that. But my understanding is that what we're talking about here is not just going to these vaccine companies and saying, gimme, but instead going to them and saying, we want to license your formula to other vaccine manufacturing facilities. And there's thousands of them around the world. We want to, or hundreds of them anyway. We want to license these to these other vaccine facilities and they will pay you a reasonable fee. You're going to get at the very least cost We're not talking about stealing from Pfizer. Or do I have something wrong here? You are spot on. You're exactly right. And here's the thing. I would follow Dr. Fauci anywhere when it comes to medicine, epidemics, vaccines. But with respect to the trade law question about lawsuits, he's just wrong. There are 100 plus countries at the World Trade Organization who are sponsoring what is called a waiver. The waiver would allow countries around the world to be able to do what you just said without risk of the lawsuits, without risk of the legal fights. And since the Trump administration, the U.S. has blocked 100 plus countries from being able to negotiate even to agree to language for this temporary emergency waiver of the WTO rules that otherwise allow the pharmaceutical companies to monopolize how much is produced and where. So if Dr. Fauci wants to make sure that there aren't a bunch of these legal suits, then he should be the number one promoter of what is technically called a waiver of the agreement on trade-related aspects of intellectual property or TRIPS. It's just a set of rules that pharma got injected into the WTO to protect their barriers. And if that is waived temporarily, it means the 160 plus countries in the WTO, they aren't going to get sued. That's the whole damn point. And the U.S. Mm -hmm. has been almost single-handedly blocking this. And you know that's what Trump would do. But what the heck with Biden? Right. And just to be very, very clear, Lori, uh, and I want to make sure that my understanding of this is accurate. If we got this TRIPS waiver, to the World Trade Organization rules around intellectual properties, around patents. That does not mean that a vaccine factory in Egypt 
can suddenly start making vaccines based on the formula that AstraZeneca or Pfizer has come up with and just say, screw you to Pfizer. It means that they can begin the process of independently negotiating with Pfizer. Okay, guys, we want to make the vaccine here. How much of a royalty do we have to pay you? Do I have that right? Almost, that's almost right. So the situation now is that companies have two choices. Because of these WTO rules, these monopolies, they can just say, we're not going to make any more. Just we're not going to allow any more to be made. We control it. Everyone go right. away. Or right. they can voluntarily choose to make an arrangement to have another company make it for them or to license the technology. With those two choices, since last year, the companies have said, go away. We're not making any more. What the TRIPS waiver would do is take away the go away option. The options would then hmm. be you can voluntarily make arrangements, charge your prices, negotiate your terms, or if you don't, you will be forced. And the statutory rate will be much lower. In the U.S., typically a 4% on its cost plus 4% for profit. In India, the last time this was done, it was 6%, and the court then added 7% profits plus cost. But if the companies volunteer versus being forced, it's much more in their interest. They can make more money. But what cannot continue, Tom, is the option the waiver would take away, which is simply for the companies to say, we don't care. We're not making any more. So in no case do these companies get screwed. They either get a small profit a lot, or a slightly larger profit. <laughs> yeah, they just don't get obscene profits anymore, or, or, although they can still make obscene profits here in the United States, right? Correct. So the difference is either they get a statutory rate because they forced themselves into the situation by refusing to volunteer of having a force, a compulsory license, then they right. get a statutory reimbursement, which ain't nothing. 7% of profit right. on top of cost. So, Lori, we just have 10 seconds. How do we advocate for this? The most important thing to do right now is start calling the White House. It's a decision Biden himself can make, and he has to make it in the next two days. Call the White House switchboard. Okay, and the White House comment line is 202-456-1111. Lori Wallach, Executive Director of Public Citizens Global Trade Watch, tradewatch.org. Thank you, Lori. Thank you. Kirk in Bremerton, Washington. Hey, Kirk, what's on your mind? I'm hoping you'll uh, take off on a fanciful flight of thinking with me for a minute, Tom. Okay, <laughs> let's try it. Let's uh, say, and I know this may be pie in the sky, but... Let's say we um, expand our majorities in 2022 and then even further in 2024 to comfortable margins. Do you think it would be feasible and at that point a good use of our energy to start trying to impeach ALEC-funded and ALEC-placed judges that go from the local to the SCOTUS that have really yeah. skewed the judicial branch in the last 10 to 15 years. It's not Alec, it's the Federalist Society, but I know what you're talking about. They're both funded by the Koch Network. <laughs> and so, yeah, um, right. yes, here's how it works, you know, because we can't simply say, oh, you know, Trump was illegitimate because, you know, the Russians helped him get elected or something like that. And therefore, all his appointments are nullified. I mean, it's just never going to happen as much as we can sputter about it. But to impeach a judge, you have to demonstrate really genuinely impeachable behavior. And I don't think we're anywhere close to that with any of the Trump judges yet. 
But there mm -hmm. are a couple of dozen of them that when they were put through, the American Bar Association had rated them not just as not well qualified, but as openly unqualified, incompetent, mm -hmm. people who had never before been judges. Amy Coney Barrett, who's on the Supreme Court right now, the first time she had a job as a judge was just just a, just the year before that. I mean, you know, there are a bunch of these judges that had never been judges, and some of them had never even practiced law. Amy Coney Barrett never argued a case in a courtroom. And so they were taking a lot of these corporate lawyers or brand new lawyers because they wanted all these young people to put them on the bench. So I'm assuming that there are organizations on the left who are kind of keeping an eye on what's going on with these judges. And when some of these right-wing judges start showing their colors beyond as in the flag that they're waving, right? Are, are they waving the maggot flags or are they waving the American flags? When they start showing those colors, their flags, then it's incumbent upon us to say, okay, if the decision is wrong, we'll fight that. There's nothing you can do about that. But if this judge is making this decision out of for some reason that is not rational, that is not reasonable, that that is corrupt, that they're making it because they have a long relationship with this company or they fail to recuse themselves, which has happened, by the way, dozens of times with Clarence Thomas and Sam Alito and back before he died with Scalia on the Supreme Court. When those kinds of things happen, then, yeah, absolutely. I think we should be uh, we should be seriously talking about impeachment. Kirk, thanks for the call. So, uh, oh, our crazy alert for the day. Melinda Gates and Bill Gates are breaking up. The conspiracy believers have a theory, and it is making its rounds on Facebook and other social media that Melinda Gates is actually a clone and uh, that, you know, a male clone, in fact, to protect the money of Bill Gates from when he gets arrested, when Donald Trump, here it is, follow the money, they divorced to secure some of their money for when Bill Gates has his money seized by Trump for crimes against humanity. Right. Bill Gates is putting trackers in people's vaccines. He's going to get busted for the, by the way, if you're hysterical about being tracked, get rid of your phone. Bill Gates is, is putting, <laughs> they're saying he's putting trackers in the vaccines. It's a crime against humanity. Donald Trump, who's the actual president of the United States, in fact, his letterhead down at Mar-a-Lago still says so. He is going to arrest Bill Gates and take all his money. So they're splitting up so Melinda can take half the money. And then after Bill gets out of jail, they can split up what's left over. That's one theory. The other theory is that she's leaving Bill Gates, Melinda's leaving Bill Gates, for Dr. Anthony Fauci. Right. Amazing. Uh, along those same kind of crazy lines, these the, the top headlines from the far right from the newsletter, The Writing, R-I-G-H-T-I-N-G.com. The Daily Caller's top story. I think the Daily Caller is Tucker Carlson's uh, the media empire. Biden's plan for government to replace the family. Rather than help the family, the Biden administration has something more disturbing in mind, a big government takeover of your family. Right. It's incredible. 
Biden's racist presidency. This is in front page. Biden and members of his administration stereotype blacks according to racist paternalistic preconceptions, right? Pat Buchanan, Biden versus Biden on his America racist country. Can you lead a country whose history you profess to shame? Uh, yeah, I think we can acknowledge the bad parts of our history and move forward. The Germans have certainly done that very well. This is from the Washington Examiner. Tim Scott declaring America is not a racist country is the key to fighting real racism. Uh, I think the key to fighting real racism is to stop real racism, is to stop the policies. I think if you stop a lot of the structural stuff around real racism, a lot of the actual racist sentiments will will wash out. This is from the uh, another one from the Geller Report. Democratic school abuse. The World Net Daily. Democrats are brazenly anti-God and anti-woman. Right. I'm telling you, they literally live in a different world, in a different country than the rest of us. Sometimes Louise and I just crave a restaurant-quality dinner at home without doing all the work or driving. Well, Cook Unity is the first chef-to-you service delivering locally sourced meals from award-winning chefs right to your door every week. And it appears to be less expensive than other delivery options. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, with two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. We just received our first meals from Cook Unity. And what a huge difference it is to get the best chefs in the country to bring creative, delicious meals to us and you every week. Every meal is handcrafted by chefs and made in local micro kitchens, not large production facilities. We just had the chipotle maple glazed salmon with green beans and mango pico de gallo. It had everything we love in a meal. They have all sorts of options like vegan, paleo, pescatarian, gluten-free, and more. Menus are posted two weeks in advance so you have plenty of time to choose. Experience chef-quality meals every week delivered right to your door. Go to cookunity.com slash Hartman, with two N's, or enter the code Hartman, the two N's, before checking out for 50% off your first week. That's 50% off your first week by using the code Hartman or going to cookunity.com slash Hartman. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs. Now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Jennifer Epps Addison is on the line with us. Jennifer is the president and co-executive director of the Center for Popular Democracy. That website is populardemocracy.org. The Twitter handle is CPD, as in Center for Popular Democracy, CPD Action. And then uh, Jennifer's uh, personal Twitter handle is uh, Jeps, J-E-P-P-S Addison, A-D-D-I-S-O-N, Jennifer Epps Addison. Jennifer, welcome to the program. Give us a, a snapshot. 
snapshot of exactly what this judge did first. Yeah, thank you so much, Tom. I think it's important for folks to understand that right now over 10 million people, nearly one in seven renters in this country is behind on their rent and is at risk of losing their shelter amid a pandemic. At the beginning of this pandemic, we were all told we need the shelter in place to protect ourselves and our communities. And there are millions of people across this country who are being now told, actually, even though the pandemic is continuing to ravage our communities, actually, we don't think your shelter is important. So, you know, the moratorium, the eviction moratorium, really was just a temporary measure of of protection. It was set to expire. We have been continuing to fight to pass the Cancel Rent Act to make sure that we're not just providing a temporary solution, but we're actually fundamentally making sure that nobody is going to become homeless because of this pandemic. But this is a major blow to families across the country. And this decision to vacate that federal eviction moratorium to say that it is not a public health issue to keep people housed and in their homes has the possibility of causing irreparable harm to millions of families across the country. And so we are fighting back because we know that right now there is almost nothing, maybe besides access to vaccines, right? There is almost nothing more important to easing the burden of this pandemic than keeping families in their homes. So the shtick that I'm seeing on right-wing websites and hearing on right-wing radio right now goes something like this. You know, a lot of middle-class folks, one of the ways that they have built some wealth is when they buy a new house, they keep the old one and they rent it out to somebody and it becomes a source of income and over time it appreciates and it's a way of getting wealth for your retirement in your old age that a lot of middle-class families have done. And there are literally millions of people who have done this across the United States. And now these middle-class average folks who have a second home that they're renting out to somebody are not getting paid, but they still have to pay the property taxes and they still have to pay the insurance and they still have to pay the upkeep. And they're going bankrupt now too, and they're risking losing their own homes. Now, my understanding is that that's a relatively disingenuous argument because Congress has appropriated, I think it was $18 billion to pay these small landlords so that people can stay in their homes. But what is the response to that, that message that, as we speak, I guarantee you is being echoed almost word for word for what I just shared with you, or certainly concept for concept, on probably a thousand radio stations right at this mm-hmm. moment across the country? Yeah. I mean, the thing, first thing to understand is that there are tens of millions of people struggling across this country because of this pandemic and and truthfully long before this pandemic because of unreasonable and skyrocketing housing, right? And so our message is that we want to truly help all of those folks who are, um, you know, single property owners, who are landlords, who want to do the right thing, whose goal it is, is to keep their tenants in their house so that nobody goes, you know, homeless in this pandemic. And one of the ways that we can do that, if if Republicans were serious, right, about helping out these homeowners, what they would do is they'd immediately join the Rent and Mortgage Cancellation Act as co-sponsors, because that would ensure payment. It would cancel all of those payments for folks who are struggling, but it would ensure payment to folks in primary residence mortgage payments, as well as 
for folks who need to make their rent payments. And so we have the solutions here to make sure that we can protect folks. But what those Republicans are really concerned about are not those landlords that they keep touting out, but it's the big multinational corporations that are buying up the housing stock, the corporate landlords that own you know, thousands of units that continue to raise rents even amid the pandemic. And what we saw after the Great Recession in President Obama's first term is that what happened is Congress used its power and the administration used its power to make banks and corporate landlords and, and those who had profited at exorbitant amounts in real estate whole. But we never saw that same level of attention paid to renters who lost so much and, and, and to homeowners, particularly black and brown homeowners who you know, ended up after the Great Recession in, in cases of negative net wealth because of the obliteration right. of that housing stock. So we want to prevent that, right? And what we need is the Biden administration to act boldly and unapologetically through his legislation and through, in particular, the American Jobs Plan and the, uh, and the American Families Plan and the American Rescue Plan that he recently passed, right? He can set the tone for governing in a way that says we have a commitment in this country to make sure that nobody goes unnecessarily unhoused. And we have an opportunity in this moment to use the federal policies and to use the incentivization of the federal government to keep people in their homes now, but to make sure that we transform the housing market. Because I think it's important for people to understand that we were in the middle of a homelessness crisis and a rent affordability crisis long before the pandemic began. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So and that's a huge topic that I'd love to have you back on and, and talk about and do a deep dive into, you know. But right now, dealing with this judge's decision, which mm-hmm. short-circuited by two months the ability of people to stay in their homes. Number one, I understand he's a Trump-appointed judge. Is his decision outside the mainstream? Is this right-wing crankism that we're seeing, and is there a chance it'll be overturned? And number two, that piece of legislation you named that would make landlords whole as well as renters, has that passed the House and it's waiting for action in the Senate? Is that what's going on, or has it not even been passed through the House? Yeah, great question. So first of all, I want to say the Department of Justice has filed an appeal to this erroneous decision, and we are hopeful um, that the Biden administration will direct its DOJ to fight like hell to protect renters and all of our communities here. But the solution is for Congress to act. And as of right now, the Rent and Mortgage Cancellation Act has not passed the House. And so certainly Mm. Speaker Pelosi has named the housing crisis as a key priority to address. And there are components, right, of relief for housing relief and rent relief, both in the rescue plan that was passed, as well as in the upcoming jobs and families plans. And so we need Congress to act desperately. The other thing, though, is join a community organization. Our affiliates in places like, you know, ACE in California, New York Communities for Change and Make the Road New York, Black Leaders Organizing Communities, the New Georgia Project, right? These grassroots organizations are on the front lines of eviction defense and of protection. And so they're working in their local communities to pass eviction moratoriums locally. And you can get involved in that fight with them. That's great. And populardemocracy.org is the place to go for the central information? Absolutely. Great. Jennifer Epps Addison, President and Co-Executive Director of the Center for Popular Democracy, populardemocracy.org. Jennifer, thank you so much for dropping by. Thank you for having us. Let me just dig into this. This Jessica Corbett wrote this piece for Alternate, delivering another blow 
to people across the United States still struggling. A Trump-appointed federal judge vacated the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's temporary federal eviction moratorium. I think it's important for us to all realize that this was a moratorium that was put into place by the Trump administration, or at least by the Centers for Disease Control when it was under the control of the Trump administration. It wasn't some you know, radical socialist thing that came out of you know, Bernie Sanders' brain, it, although you know, I'm sure he endorsed it. <laughs> but, but my point is that we were saying we've got a public health crisis. We need people to stay, in, you know, just literally shelter in place. Please don't go outside. Please don't get with a crowd. And so we're going to start protecting housing. And, you know, that's what we were doing. That was the whole plan. And, uh, you know, whether we're getting there or not, that's a whole nother question. On the line with us is Ben Jealous, the president of People for the American Way and the People for the American Way Foundation. He's a visiting scholar at the Annenberg School at Penn, uh, former president of the NAACP, former candidate for governor of Maryland, with our old buddy Susie Turnbull as his running mate. PFAW is the website, and at Ben Jealous, spelled just like it sounds, is his Twitter handle. The uh, People for the American Way is at People4. Uh, Ben, welcome back to the program. If we could just very briefly talk about how on Fox News and just down the road from Mar-a-Lago, I think he was hoping that Trump was going to show up. Ron DeSantis, the governor or the emperor of Florida, signed a massive voter suppression bill. And this is metastasizing across the United States. This has, in my opinion, become an emergency. What do we do about this? How do we handle this fact that the Republican Party institutionally and on a state-by-state basis has become, as weirdly enough Liz Cheney is calling them out, an anti, what the founders would have called Republican Party, small r, a republic, what today we would call an anti-democratic party, small d, whichever word you want to use, a party opposed to the just the fundamental idea of representative government and the people, you know, cons- a government that derives its just powers from the consent of the governed. What do we do? This is only possible because the Jim Crow filibuster is still in place. We've got to get rid of the filibuster so we can pass H.R. 1 and H.R. 4, the For the People Act and the Voting Rights Restoration Act through the Senate. When you're in a situation where you have this have a crisis in a republic, in a representative democracy, the only cure is federal voting rights bills and getting them passed and getting passed, frankly, on an emergency basis. The filibuster really was created in a mistake of governing in the early 19th century. It then became what uh, the supporters of Jim Crow used to maintain segregation for as long as possible in the United States. It needs to go. There is nothing sacred about the filibuster. There's no reason why majority rules should not apply to the U.S. Senate as well. It is what governs our democracy in almost every other aspect of our democracy. There's no reason why we should need 60 votes in the Senate. We need to get rid of it, pass the For the People Act, that's H.R. 1, pass the uh, Voting Rights Act, that's H.R. 4. It's the only thing that we can do to shut down what is now a massive voter suppression omnibus bill rolling through Florida, rolling through Texas, precisely because the Republican Party would rather remain to the far right of Attila the Hun rather than actually compete for 
more moderate voters, right. people of color, etc. So, Ben, there are a couple of Democrats who are saying, you know, we kind of like the filibuster. My proposal was, okay, cool, we'll give you a filibuster. Let's do it like Jimmy Stewart. You can, as long as you've got 40 members on the floor and you're talking, you can hold up the Senate. But when you run out of things to say or you drop down to 39 members, it's all over and there's going to be a vote. Is there any discussion about kind of compromise stuff like that where you can still have something that's called the filibuster so that Joe Manchin can say, yes, we're still a great deliberative body? I just don't see a way out of this uh, other than something like that. What's the conversation? Yeah, no, look, you know, doing it like Jimmy Stewart is certainly an option. And there are some advantages to that as far as the, Amer- you know, the American people being able to see for themselves the BS that the, Repo- yeah. the racist rhetoric that the Republicans use. What we have to get rid of is this coward's filibuster where a bill simply dies. You might recall, uh, you know, if, if 60% do not say that they'll support it in the U.S. Senate, you might recall that 400 bills died that way during the last recession. The American people as a whole would be a lot wealthier right now if many of those had passed. That is the legacy of this coward's filibuster that we have right now, this Jim Crow filibuster. Right. Right. So any suggestions on how to apply any kind of pressure to uh, Manchin and Cinema? We have 30 seconds. Yeah, we, we have to turn up the pressure on Biden and Schumer. The reality ah. is that Manchin and... Because they can dangle really carrots and sticks. Yeah, they're only going to respond really to the President of the United States and the majority leader of the U.S. Senate and Kamala Harris in between as the, both the President of the Senate and the Vice president of the united states and they need to hear from us clearly that there is absolutely no out of this we've got to get this through and the filibuster there you go ben jealous pfaw.org ben jealous uh, at ben jealous on twitter ben thanks a lot for dropping by it's always great talking with you thank you so much all right thank you bye now have a great one And welcome back. So let's have a conversation about what's going on here. There's a, there's a lot on the table, a lot of things we've talked about. Ken in Elkton, Maryland. Hey, Ken, what's on your mind today? Uh, yeah, you've hit it so many things. So many things. I was calling up, you know, talking about the money situation. You had the one lady on there talking about, you know, how they're going to get thrown out. It can have the, the public are saying the old bought houses and they're using them, to, you know, that too. But oh, the housing moratorium. Right. Yeah. Okay. Uh, go for it. The whole thing with the money, like money has been chasing the, the money forever and ever. It's always been when I was a kid. I'm 60 now. You could work at a gas station when I got out of high school at 18, buy an old Chevy car for a couple hundred bucks, rent an apartment for a couple bucks. The insurance on the car was a couple hundred bucks for a year, you know, and you could actually make it. Now, as things progressed and so on and so forth, I wouldn't have brainiac in school. I went to the shop classes and stuff, but they don't have no more, you know. Came out of high school, and I was born in South Jersey, and used to work in all the refineries and this and that. Up to 18 years old, it was eight towers an hour. We used to climb through some of the refineries and some of the most terrible things. Clean up asbestos with this little paper mask. How I don't have cancer, I don't know, but back to the money now, flipped these many years later from the late 70s till now, 
you just have to make so much money to chase the money, and these politicians know that. You know, they know what exactly what they're doing. Whether you're talking about the pharmacy, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. And yeah. all these years. Oh, I've, and they have gutted, you know, wages and the right yeah. to unionize. So that old Chevy that you were buying way back in the day, you can't buy that car yeah. working in a gas station anymore. You know, I paid yeah. my first term of college tuition working at an Esso station, changing tires and pumping gas and working part time washing dishes at Bob's Big Boy. I mean, that you could do that. And that was in 1967 or 68. You could do that then. But yep. now, absolutely yep. not. And that's. The pure yep. result of something called Reaganomics or trickle-down economics, 100%. This is the Republican Party's idea of how an economy should work. We have tried this experiment now for a full 40 years. Some of us are old enough to remember what America was like work. before the experiment began. And it has screwed us, Ken. My father, he was 18 years old, World War II, all the time. He was one of the guys who worked Same here. drove the boats that dropped the front the door down, drop the Marines off on the beach, you know? Whoa. You know what I'm talking about? And yeah. he made it through that, came out, had steel plates in his head, blah, blah, blah. The doctor said, you'll never walk again, Aggie. My dad said, I'll walk out of this hospital. You know, when he woke up in the Philippines, wherever he was at. And he did, and then he went to college, which was free. And then he wasn't a book guy, and mom pregnant, one of deals. So he went to work in the automotive field and, you know, worked at Chrysler, assembly plant. And, and he only had one hand. He had his both hands, but one hand was... That's the only thing he didn't get back from being paralyzed. He got everything else back from right. being a double right. tough son of a gun. But he worked through Chrysler, and he had a pension, and so forth, and so on. And to get a job like that yep. now, it, 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 you, you can't. So you have to work every day, every day, and then you have, like they say, one person misses, uh, has an expense, a small expense. How, what, they can't afford it. So what now with Corona... This, you know, all these people, get, there's going to be, there already is homeless. Everywhere you look, homeless. So yeah. I drive a truck. No, no, right I'm with you, Ken. And, and you know, my dad had the same experience. He, you know, he volunteered for the Army during World War II, went off to Japan. He got there just after the war ended. So he was part of the occupation forces. And he came back with the GI Bill. He, you know, get, mom got yep. pregnant. He yep. dropped out of college after two years. And he spent 40 years in a tool and die shop. And when he retired, he had a full pension. He had full medical. And he could raise um, you know, it. Yeah, well, my vacation. dad raised four boys. Yeah, same thing. Yeah. Ken, I got to move along, now, but but uh, you know, because we sound like a couple of old farts reminiscing. Yeah, but but hopefully, sure. young people listening to us right now are getting the message that there was a time in America when rich people were still rich, and rich people were still doing okay, and corporations were insanely profitable. And we had a middle class. And Ronald Reagan and Reaganomics has destroyed that, and they want to keep it that way. And Joe Biden, he's giving a speech right now, and, and he's coming out and saying, no, we're going to fight for the middle class. We're going to bring back those kinds of jobs. We're going to put people back to work. We're going to give people decent wages, and, and we're going to make it happen. And I'm totally with him. The second topic that I wanted to bring up in this hour, and then you know we can discuss this stuff, is the Republican Party. What is going on in the GOP right now? You get Mitt Romney, who was booed at his state convention in Utah over the weekend. You've got Liz Cheney, who came out, I shared her tweet with you, saying that, you know, Trump is actually, and the entire GOP is actually promoting a big lie. Now, now there's a, a member of Congress who has come out. He was one of the 11, I believe, in the House of Representatives who voted to impeach Donald Trump. And he has come out and said, 
yeah, Liz Cheney probably isn't a good fit for leadership in the Republican Party because in the Republican Party now, you've got to believe in the big lie. You've got to go along with Trump's lie or you're out. And Liz Cheney's not going with his lie. She's a truth teller. Well, Liz Cheney's also a right-wing wackadoodle. I mean, she's also someone who's, who uh, is all in favor of promoting things that make global warming worse and, and doesn't want unions and, and wants tax cuts for billionaires. and all. I mean, just all the normal right-wing stuff. I remember well, and I remember it because my dad was a Republican political activist, basically. But I remember well the 1960 Republican convention. Now, I was only nine years old in 1960. But I remember watching that thing with Dad on television. And Nelson Rockefeller got up. And the former vice president of the United States, right? A lifelong Republican. Nelson Rockefeller got up and said... I'm paraphrasing. This is all from memory. I've got the clips over at the studio, and in two weeks when we're back in the studio, I'll be able to play these audio clips for you, which I'm really looking forward to. Because I did this rant like 10 years ago when we had a similar debate inside the uh, GOP. Nelson Rockefeller got up in front of the entire Republican Party at this convention in 1960. This was where they nominated Barry Goldwater for president. Nelson Rockefeller got, or maybe, no, it was 64, I'm sorry. This was 1964. This is when Barry Goldwater ran against LBJ. And Nelson Rockefeller got up and said, we have to embrace not just the people in our party who are, you know, freaked out about the communists and the State Department, all that kind of stuff, you know, the hard right, as it were. But we have to embrace the middle or we're going to lose this country and we're going to lose this party. And he was booed off the stage, or he was booed loudly. I don't know if they drove him off the stage, but he couldn't get through parts of his speech because he was being booed, just like Mitt Romney. And he was followed then by Barry Goldwater, who gave his famous speech where he said, extremism and the defense of liberty is no vice. And moderation in the pursuit of something that wasn't liberty is no virtue. And he got standing ovation that lasted for minutes. And in 64, it became the party's nominee. And what did that do to the Republican Party? Well, they put up this right-wing crazy, Barry Goldwater, you know, as their presidential nominee in 64, and they got wiped out. I think they won two states in that election. LBJ just walked away with it. Now, part of that was, you know, the country was wounded from Jack Kennedy having been killed the year before. But a large part of it, you know, and there was the famous Daisy ad that, you know, Goldwater was a right-wing crazy who was going to start a nuclear war. But look at what it did to the Republican Party. Nixon had to basically reinvent the Republican Party for the 68 election as a party of white nationalists. Rather than being afraid of communists, they were afraid of black people. That was his Southern strategy. Bring in the the Dixiecrats. So he reinvented the Republican Party as a party of white nationalism and of basically, you know, inward looking, you know, we don't want to be involved in the world kind of thing. You know, I'm going to end the war in Vietnam, which of course he didn't do. He blew up LBJ's efforts to end the war in Vietnam. 
is a very dishonest thing. But basically, Nixon put the GOP on the path to Reagan, and then Reagan took us to full, hardcore right-wing authoritarianism. And Trump has just put a cherry on top of that. to the Tom Hartman program. So the thing I'm struggling with, and the question I'm asking you, is what's the Republican Party going to look like in a couple of years, particularly after Trump leaves? Let's pick up some some of your phone calls here. Dave, uh, watch this on YouTube in New Brunswick, New Jersey. Hey, Dave, what's on your mind? Hey, I'll make this quick. I was unable to pay my rent after April of 2020 for a while, and my landlord eventually got a judgment against me, even though there was a moratorium because I didn't. I'm in a rent-occupied place, and also I didn't renew the lease, so mm-hmm. I'm living without a lease. But fast forward, I got current on the rent about a month ago. And now mm-hmm. I'm actually going to prepay the rent up to the moratorium, which in New Jersey is July 15th. I hired cool. a lawyer, and now I'm told that he wants me out because I didn't pay the rent for a period in October, and I'm going to be evicted. And he can evict me You're because kidding. I'm in an owner-occupied residence. Now, I have the money to go and leave, but the, the whole point of the story is the reason I was able to catch up and pay my rent it's because I work about 18 hours a day, seven days a week. I started a business. Right. I right. taught myself search engine optimization. So I've done, even under Republican rules, I've done everything right, and I'm going to be asked to leave. Now, it's not a big, big, I'm grateful that I can, I can go and find a place to rent. He dinged my credit with the judgment, which I had to get removed. But I can't even imagine people who can't pay their rent in New Jersey or anywhere else what they're going through. That's why I'm calling in. Because yeah. here yeah, I am, gotta I, be I can pay the rent, and I'm still going to get asked to leave. Amazing. Amazing. Dave, thank you for sharing that story. It's, it's one that I think a, a lot of Americans around the country are probably uh, experiencing. And good on you. Thank you very much. Michael in Memphis, Tennessee. Hey, Michael, what's up? Hey, Tom. I was listening to you talk uh, to Ben Jealous about uh, some of the voter suppression laws that are passing. And... It's going to be a domino effect here in Tennessee. State legislature just passed a bill the same you can drive into a group of protesters thing. And I don't think people understand how important it is. I was telling the screener with you got Joe Manchin in an interview with him with with Chris. You just want to just punch the guy in the face because you can clearly see that he does not care. And you get people like him, Christian Sinema. And Ben Jealous said, I mean, there needs to be tremendous pressure brought to bear on the president and Chuck Schumer to get these people in line. I don't get yep. why the Democrats have to be so weak and soft when it comes to governing. I've never gotten it. Cause well, it's because they're, they're not authoritarians. But, but I, you know, I, I agree with your point, Michael. And the comment line for the White House, by the way, is 202-456-1111. If you want to call and just, you know, raise hell and, and, and leave a message for Joe Biden, that's literally the phone number to do it. 202-456-1111. 202-456-1111. Good. Give him, give him a shout. And, uh, you know, hopefully a lot of other people watching will, too. Michael, thank you for the call. It's great to hear from you. And thanks for watching us there in Memphis, Tennessee. We'll be right back picking up your calls on the other side of the break.
Quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR, all into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. It's accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. By popular demand, NetSuite has extended its one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. And uh, welcome to Tom Hartman University, our club. Today we're reading from Ralph Nader's Breaking Through Power. It's easier than we think. This is from page 74, the chapter, How the System is Rigged. According to Russell Mokaber, editor of the Corporate Crime Reporter, quote, corporate crime takes far more lives, causes far more injuries and diseases, and steals far more money than street crime. But the vast amount of law enforcement resources, mass media attention, and prison cell blocks are devoted only to street crime. Just consider these preventable casualties. Almost 60,000 annual workplace-related fatalities from both disease and trauma. 54,000 deaths a year from air pollution. Over 100,000 lives lost as a result of medical malpractice. Nearly 100,000 lives lost from hospital-induced infections. Over 100,000 fatalities from adverse effects of drugs. And over 40,000 deaths every year due to inadequate or no health care coverage for diagnosis, treatment, and medication. There are far larger numbers of sicknesses and injuries attached to these data sets. These statistics have haunting human faces. Children, women, men, and families destroyed by uncontrollable, monetized minds. Whether they are caused by recklessness, criminal negligence, or worse, the key factors in common are the preventability of such pain and the suffering inflicted from commercially induced neglect, predation, manslaughter, and homicide. By comparison, street and home homicides do not exceed 14,000 lives lost annually. Now see how companies have made sure they have the laws that they need to go after you and how they make sure that the law can be used as their punisher. The giant multi-tiered home mortgage business, now driven by the same one percenters who profited from crashing the economy in 2008, can nail you if you misrepresent information on your mortgage application. Suppose you say you're going to occupy your house as a principal residence to get a lower interest rate and down payment, and you don't for some reason. Lenders can call the loan and demand repayment if the mortgage balance is outstanding. Absent that payment, the lender can seize your home, foreclosure. In addition, by claiming you committed bank fraud, these companies can use the FBI against you. As the veteran housing columnist Kenneth R. Harvey warned, this can trigger severe financial penalties, prosecution, and prison time for ordinary Americans. 
But how many bankers feel the cold metal of handcuffs tighten on their wrists when their crimes rob American families of their homes and life savings? Health insurance companies have similar supporting laws to deny medical coverage by alleging illegal activities. This could mean anything from non-disclosure of traffic violations to gun accidents, even when there has been no conviction. It could mean something as vague as hazardous behavior, according to the New York Times. If a company paid you and comes back for their money, they can get you prosecuted for fraud. These corporate goliaths are too big to fail, and they know how to enact laws to make sure that you are too small to stop them. Corporate state culture, the plutocracy boom oligarchy, is given an astonishing exoneration. So long as it claims the violence and mayhem are not their direct purpose, but an unfortunate byproduct that just couldn't be helped. Like when innocent people are accidentally killed by U.S. drone attacks, the government seems to quietly get a free pass. It's almost as if corporations get away with a permanent defense of an institutional insanity, a defense going global in terms of deadly supply chains, from horrific African mines to dangerous factories in China, in India, and Bangladesh, deoxygenation and poisoning of the vast oceans, estuaries, rivers, and lakes, pumping greenhouse gases into rapid climate destabilization, extending the range of infectious diseases due to habitat and ecological disruption and desecration, and changing the nature of nature itself through unregulated genetic engineering and nanotechnology. Even with six million slow, agonizing deaths a year globally attributed to the tobacco business, cigarettes are still demonically promoted by one percenters who reap staggering profits from selling their addictive and poisonous product, especially in developing nations where regulations protecting children do not exist. The excuse is forever that corporatists have no intention, knowledge, or reason to do harmful things. The institutional insanity defense again. Or the manufacturers of weapons of mass destruction whose militant advertisements say they are just helping the national defense, but are not at all responsible for their products' use in the coercive policies of empire and perpetual war. Is it institutional madness or infantilism? Did the World War II allies let the giant Krupp works in Germany get away with this excuse after the war ended? It's time for people to take away these rationalizations of omnicide from corporations that demand they be legally privileged as persons for their pursuit of profits, but not as persons, for our pursuit of them as criminal predators and refugees from justice. In the 2012 U.S. presidential campaign, Republican nominee Mitt Romney asked about corporate personhood, replied that it was a given, saying, hey, corporations are people, my friend, like it was a science fact he learned in fifth grade. This is no mere throwaway line. Billions of dollars of litigating, advertising, marketing, and corporatist commentary have been focused on driving this people image into our minds from childhood. Regularly, full-page ads show that Goliath corporations like Walmart or Lockheed Martin are just people like you. The ads are filled with pictures and names of the faithful workers who bring you goods and services. The book by Ralph Nader, Breaking Through Power. A couple of other news stories I wanted to share with you just real, real quickly to seed the ground, as it were, and then I'll pick up your phone calls. This is something that I think pretty much did not happen during the Trump administration. Now, I may be wrong on that, but I don't recall any time during the Trump administration when the Justice Department or any federal agency went after police for violating the civil rights of individuals like killing them or falsely imprisoning them or, or beating on them. 
And now it looks like it's starting to happen. And I think that this is probably going to strike fear into the hearts of corrupt cops around America, which, you know, is a generally a good thing and is going to give some wind to the back of those police officers in this country who are you know, good people committed to doing a good job and would like to see the bad apples flushed out of their particular police forces and would like to see policing reformed in a way that actually helps them do their job appropriately. So here's the story. This is, you know, the four cops basically that murdered George Floyd. One of them has been convicted of murder now, Derek Chauvin. But there's three others. One kind of stood guard while the other two sat on George Floyd as Chauvin was choking him to death. And the Justice Department now has convened a federal grand jury. That federal grand jury has indicted these three cops for violating George Floyd's civil rights. They're going after two of the cops, uh, Kung and Tao, uh, for basically sitting on him. And then a third one, Thomas Lane, for not rendering aid. He was the lookout guy. Um, When it was obvious that George Floyd, you know, when he had died, basically, he still could have been revived. And they just all stood around. And so uh, let's hope that we're turning a positive page in the history of American policing with this decision by the Justice Department, by Merrick Garland's new Justice Department. Another point, it turns out that you'll recall, uh, particularly those of you who listen to me on SiriusXM or our commercial stations, um, you know, uh, one of our advertisers is ExpressVPN, and I'm constantly talking about how, you know, I've used ExpressVPN for years because it allows me to keep Comcast, who's my local internet service provider, from spying on what I'm doing. Now, I don't know if they're doing that or not, but they, they have the legal right to. Right? And, and they were given this right during the Trump administration by Ajit Pai, the head of the FCC, the former Verizon attorney who Trump put in charge of the FCC. And, you know, by blowing up Title II, and there's a whole long, you know, I can get into the detail on that. But when Pai did this, he did this in part based on an assertion that millions and millions of Americans had sent uh, emails to the FCC and contacted the FCC through their website saying that they wanted to do away with net neutrality. Just let those corporations spy on us, please, please. And that was his rationalization. Well, now this, the office of the New York Attorney General, this is from the Associated Press, The office of the New York Attorney General said in a new report that a campaign funded by the broadband industry submitted millions of fake comments supporting the 2017 repeal of net neutrality. It's amazing. The proceeding generated a record-breaking number of comments, more than 22 million. 18 million of them were fake. One 19-year-old kid in California, a young man, submitted more than 7.7 pro-net neutrality, pro? Well, there's some fake ones there too. Pro-net neutrality things. The Attorney General's Office did not identify the origins of another distinct group with pro-net neutrality comments. And then a broadband industry group called Broadband for America spent $4.2 million generating more than $8.5 million of the fake FCC comments. Half a million fake letters were also sent to Congress. So this whole thing was just corrupt 16 ways to Sunday, and I hope the FCC is looking at it and thinking about doing something about it, because this is just, this is a crime. This is wrong, as they say. 
So, Bobby in La Puente, California. Hey, Bobby, what's on your mind? Talk about the vaccine. People are resistant. Anyway, I got a call last week from a group I used to go to, you know, recovery. Hey, you're coming to the meeting. I'm going to open up. Say, hey, have you got your vaccine? Oh, me and my wife are thinking about it. And a while back, he mentioned he was a libertarian. My ears rose up, what you mentioned about what a libertarian is. So I says, well, I'm going to open up. I'll wear a mask. And that room, Tom, is not <laughs> ventilation. Forget about it. In the summertime, you know, you get nets. It doesn't bother me. But a pandemic, then you got to remove your mask to share. You know, you read and you speak. And I says, I'm not comfortable with that. So, see, Tom, you can't lead a horse to water. So I don't know what else to do but be an example. Because, see, I tried that yeah. with my brother. I used to beat him up. Hey, you're going to recovery. No, no, Bob, you don't do that. You don't promote it. So, so at this point, I don't need to go for myself. I don't. And I check with others. What do you guys think? You know, the three other guys that I stay in contact. No, no, I'm with you, Bob. I'm not ready. So here we are. And it's vital for other yeah. people that are suffering out there. You know what I'm saying, Tom? So I don't know yeah. what the solution yeah. is. We all... Yeah, I'm with you, Bobby. And we all need to be figuring out ways that we can be encouraging people to get vaccinated because it's just an absolutely essential thing. Thank you for the call, Bobby. Linda in Dallas, Texas. Hey, Linda, you have the last minute of the show. What's up? Yes. You know, you were talking about the allotment in Arkansas and how they hadn't been using that for the COVID Mm -hmm. virus. For the vaccine. And yes, I was watching Christian TV. I was appalled. One of the largest Christian networks had a person on telling people about all the different vaccines and how they just don't know what it is and don't take it. And and they were just perpetuating just false information, false information. And, you know, if they would only think about it, polio, they didn't know what polio was. They didn't know what mumps and measles were. And, but yet and still they took the vaccination and it wiped out the disease. So, you know, yeah. I'm like, it, they, it's just really sad how they just perpetuate lies on Christian TV. And what it is, Tom, they have to cover up the fact that they were telling everybody that God told them Trump was going to win. Yeah, yeah. No, it's all about Trump and it's all about the Republicans now for these fundamentalist Christians because the Republican strategy is keep the virus going so that the economy doesn't come back, so Joe Biden doesn't succeed, so the Republicans can win in 2022 and 2024, and so the Republicans can continue the tax advantages of these churches. I mean, that's what it boils down to, Linda. It's all about the money, and uh, Jesus is puking. Anyhow, what a great point to leave on the show. But uh, thanks so much for being with us today. Don't forget, democracy is not a spectator sport. It requires you. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. Have a great afternoon. Be good to somebody today, huh? We'll see you tomorrow. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 